he's a great actor. It's interesting though. He it's this is one of the few movies where he plays a really actually good guy. I mean, I know he technically he was a good guy in Lord of the Rings and he did the right thing. And I every time I watch the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, I always cry when he dies. But he's still not a great character. Like you hate him up until that point. And and most movies that he's in, he tends to play a bad guy. But here he plays uh, a good guy. He's he's one of the good guys. He's wearing the white hat. This is Movie Bite, a show where we discuss, praise, lament, and sometimes we even lampoon movies, TV shows, culture, and more. This show is hosted by me, I'm TJ Draper, and I'm joined by my co-host, Joseph Darnell of Movieology fame. Hi, TJ. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm sorry to hear you're getting sick. Yeah, I'm getting just a little bit of a cold, which is why when you said earlier, do you need to postpone, because I had some stuff going on I was telling you about. And I said, no, I don't think so, because I think my voice will probably be shot tomorrow. I can tell my throat is starting to get sore. And Yeah, so, it's a good thing that we do it today then. Good yeah. thing I don't pick up your germs over Skype. That's that's a good thing. All right, so it's been a big week, or it's it's turning out to be a big week. We've launched the site finally. Yeah, yeah. yeah we should talk about that. The yeah, site very, is up. Very excited about that. And we've even posted a few things out there. You got to go and check it out. Wrist punch. Yes, yeah, pretty excited. I, I actually spent the morning this morning. You know, there's always these little things that crop up when after you've launched a site, or maybe you think you've. I mean, it's the same thing if you're editing a video. Uh, you think you've finished it, and then you go watch it down with uh, the director or something, and you're like, "No, you got to change this and this and this." And so, as I'm, you know, launching the site, and the site's out there, and then I discover things. One thing that I had never messed around with before is called the Open Graph tag, uh, which is what Facebook uh, uses to pull images and. Um, uh, descriptions and stuff when you post a link on Facebook. And for some reason, I never messed with this before because all my sites were showing up fine in Facebook when you would post a link. And you can override what Facebook does with open graph tags. But um, for some reason, Facebook was not pulling in any description from the text. Uh, it was not pulling in the images that are on the site. It just was pulling in nothing. So I added open. I spent the morning adding open graph tags <laughs> oh. to, the, uh, to, to the site so that it will show up properly on Facebook. So that was fun. So there's just lots of, and there was other little things that I was working the kinks out of. As as you go live, you discover things. So I know this week is probably going to be a dull week for a lot of people in the, uh, you know, or, or I should say it's going to be a very quiet week in the theater because people are watching the Olympics. But I think that uh, we're making up for it with the announcement of Movie Bite. So people, yes. come check us out. Yeah, exactly. Forget about the Olympics. Yeah, who cares about the Olympics? <laughs> yeah, unless it's an Olympics movie, then they can create a really cool soundtrack, and then I might watch it. Oh, well, there's, uh, there's a movie called The First Olympics that my wife has been trying to get me to watch for a while now, and I just haven't taken the time. Uh, with the, It actually has David Caruso. It's like the only name I recognized uh, because I used to watch CSI Miami before it got really bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, you've seen uh, Chariots of Fire. I have not. Should, oh. should I be admitting this on the air? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I will. I will rectify that soon. You know, it's interesting. There's there's movies that I consider essential, and uh, you know, somebody will say, "Well, I haven't seen that," and then there's probably movies you consider essential, and I say, "I haven't seen that." So, <laughs> well, you know, if for nothing else, you get to see a younger Ian Holm in the Chair of Sapphire. Oh, okay, Ian Holm's in it. Okay. Yeah. But of course, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Okay, so we're looking at our outline for today. Yes. Ooh, the Man of Steel. 
Yeah, ah. what, what did you think of that trailer? That was in front of uh, uh, The Dark Knight Rises, and we, of course, were so consumed with The Dark Knight Rises last week that we didn't have time or even any thought to talk about it. Well, first off, I should probably say I'm a little biased towards Superman. I, uh, I think my first affair with a movie was the first Christopher Reeves Superman movie. Mm-hmm. I was probably three years old, and I think it was the first film I watched from beginning to end. And uh, I've loved Superman ever since, but there's been some incarnations I didn't care about. Yeah. I I couldn't appreciate. And this time I am hopeful after seeing the teaser trailer. Grant you the teaser trailer doesn't say much, but I noticed that this teaser was following in the footsteps of the teaser for the Superman Returns movie that came out a few years ago that Brian Singer directed. Which I love and you hate, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, uh, man, I have that movie. I watch it and I want to like it. And then I'm like, no, I can't. Um, are you familiar with the teaser trailer that Brian Singer made for that film? Oh, it seems like I watched it because I was really excited about the film, but I have no memory of it at all. It, it was oh so epic. It was so exciting. Just the teaser for the film. It had... Um, Marlon Brando's voiceovers from the original movie, you know, talking oh, yeah, as yeah, the yeah. father to, uh, you know, Superman. And, and of course, he, w- he was actually in the movie. No, of course not. No, he was. No, he was. The Marlon Brando's voiceover was in the movie. Oh, right. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, he he has a re- reprising the role besides his voice. He was not in the film. Yeah. 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 Well, of course, he's passed away, but uh, they could have done something. But anyway. There was a lot of footage for the original Superman movie that was never put to use. This is true. And in fact, uh, have you seen some of the special edition releases of the Superman movies? Yes. Uh, there, there's a lot of footage. And well, in fact, I watched, oh, and it made me so sad. Um, there were some things I didn't like about the recut or the, the, the release of the original intent of Superman 2. But uh, by and large, it was a much better film than the actual Superman 2 that got released. Yeah, I agree. Um, there was, and it was hard for them to do because they didn't wind up shooting all of it uh, because they fired the director and came in and reshot a lot of things. But and so they even had to take some test footage and cut it in. So I'm sure that made for a choppy experience. But I think the story would have worked better for the most part. There were some quibbles, but Richard Donner definitely had a much better idea and should have been allowed to do uh, do the work. The Richard Donner edition—that's what it's called. You got to remember too that these were the first epic scale you know, live action superhero films that were treated with, um, you know, respect, you know, yeah. just well, let's th- I try mean, to do this well, you know, real, you know, appeal to all, all audiences with this and somehow connect it to our, you know, par- to parallel our own world. Yeah. When I think of, uh, you know, modern superhero movies, the first thing that comes to mind is the original Superman movies with Christopher Reeves, the first two for sure. Um, and man, do I hate three and four. They were awful, but um, they got so campy. But the first two certainly I loved uh, very much, and um, I, I really that's that's the reason I like Superman Returns a lot is because they paid the proper homage and respect to that. Now, for the, the yeah, just for the grandeur that was depicted in Richard Donner's first Superman film, there was so many incredibly well done lines, just some great great lines, yeah, uh, great dialogues and. <laughs> Great uh, sound bites. Margaret Kidder notwithstanding. 
I, I've memorized the beginning with Marlon Brando's lines. I, I love it. But Marlon Brando's performance as Jor-El was used in the teaser uh, for Superman Returns. Mm-hmm. And then the soundtrack was straight up one of the original tracks for the sa- Superman movie by John Williams. It was the track for, for yes. Krypton. Yeah, John, John Ottman used the title sequence, uh, definitely, uh, which I thought was a great move. And I doubt if they're going to do that with this new Superman movie, which will make me sad. Because that, that, yeah. that is the definitive piece of music when, I, when you think of Superman, at least for me. I don't know how it is for you or anybody else. Maybe people who are not of our age or generation think differently. Uh, maybe they go back to the George Reeves uh, um, Superman of the TV shows. But when I think of Superman... I hear the music playing. I mean, that's for me. It's John Williams' music. It's and it, of course it's in my soundtrack library because it's such a great piece of music. Um, it it really is awesome and epic. I think it's the best theme probably to date for a a lighthearted, uh, warm, positive, patriotic hero. I mean, like there's there's no soundtrack. It's it's non-existent for most Marvel. Uh, superhero titans like you know Iron Man he doesn't really have a music theme no he doesn't Spider-Man his is great it's epic but it's Danny Elfman to the core and you know, that's that's it comes with pros and cons sure you can only handle so much of his um, dreamy choir with oohs and ahs and yes. t- tingling strings and stuff to make it sound like spiders are playing the song for you <laughs> or the tune but yeah with uh Okay, John Williams. Yeah, he really nailed it. And so with uh, Brian Singer's teaser, you know, Superman Returns, it really captured the heart of the original Richard Donner film, and made you feel like it was really going to capture that essence in the in the movie itself. Um, I got to remember, you're you're a fan of it, so yeah, you, you for, feel like Brian Singer <laughs> failed. I feel like he 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 shot high and. Mm. Uh, I think in some ways it was a very noble effort, and then I think it fell flat. So, okay. But we have with the teaser trailer though for the new film called Men of Steel. They release a teaser for the beginning of the release of The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Now, now what did you think of the music? <laughs> you know where that music came from. Right? Oh, I, it was well. It, here's the thing, though. Okay, so I I felt like, and I showed the trailer to my wife because uh, she she was not at The Dark Knight Rises with me. She had she wanted no part of that movie. Uh, too dark for her to see in the theater. But I, I showed her the trailer online, and she said, "Well, that that music—that's like Lord of the Rings music." And I said, "Yeah, it sounds to me. I mean, I can I can pick the track out in my soundtrack library, and yet it credits the music to Hans Zimmer. But Hans Zimmer didn't do the Lord of the Rings music, so I don't know what's going on." <laughs> uh, it's it is it is a track taken right out of Lord of the Rings, which uh, was composed and directed by or composed and the music was directed by Howard Shore. Correct. And uh, I saw him give a live performance uh, directing, conducting, sorry, the uh, Atlanta Symphony Orchestra doing a huge a suite of Lord of the Rings music. It was just epic. So great. Yeah. Now, it's interesting that you bring up Howard Shore. Uh, I won't dwell too long on this because we want to keep moving on, but uh, – you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of Howard Shores. Like, I think The Lord of the Rings is okay, although some of it I could quibble with. It's, but but um, some of the other stuff that he's done, I feel like sounds too much like Lord of the Rings and doesn't capture the movie very well. Like, he, you know what I'm saying? I, I just, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I, I Yeah, I, I'm not a big fan. 
So. I I enjoy him for what he is, his epic quality. The um, he he loves themes. He has a theme for everything, and it was probably appropriate for Tolkien's world. Yes, I agree. Um, but see part. now now hearing though one of his themes that I think was supposed to be for the elves maybe something pertaining to the elves anyway used for superman now that was that was kind of peculiar <laughs> it was off-putting yeah it was very <laughs> off-putting in fact i i wanted to i wanted to hear the uh the opening strains of uh you know that dun 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 dun, dun, dun. you know yeah. how yeah that's what i wanted to hear <laughs> yeah, you're right <laughs> and uh th- this music just did not fit i i, I didn't feel like it was but yeah at the same time it didn't feel like a traditional superman trailer it was definitely trying to say we are doing something different yeah no i agree Stay tuned and 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 it's not that i even think that that's a bad thing necessarily yeah. even though i not like the last superman movie uh i don't necessarily because the approach of the last superman movie was not really a reboot it was a this is a continuation my understanding from from what i've heard is and from what people have said is they were ignoring films three and four which I was like, good, and and pretending like this film came directly after Superman one and two, not yeah. directly, but like five years or whatever, and ki- kind of. But but at the same time, they didn't, they weren't afraid to, to have modern things either. So it's not like it was a direct continuity. So it was a little weird in that way. I agree. I admit. Yeah, I I think though I'm ready. I am so ready for a reboot of Superman altogether new franchise not tied to anything of the past. And I sure hope that that's what the man of steel is. Oh, definitely. I, I definitely think it's a complete and total reboot and rethink and, and music, notwithstanding I'm, I'm hopeful, even though the music kind of gave me pause that they're, what are the, what in the world do they think they're doing? Uh, yet at the same time, I am hopeful that this, this will be a good reboot. You know, there's a few other things going for it. That's worth mentioning. Just apart from the fact that the teaser wasn't really a letdown apart from the fact that the music didn't fit. It's got an all-star cast, which doesn't always mean it's a good film. But in this case, I'm I'm thinking that it probably will be a good film uh, for a few other reasons. One, Christopher Nolan is one of the producers. And That's one of the primary reasons I'm hopeful is because he is yes. a producer. And his production company, is it um, Syncope, which was also responsible for the Batman trilogy for Inception. They are the guys actually behind The Man of Steel. Hmm. Yeah. And um, then also, and not that it's really, you know, this is again a side note to a side note, but Nolan's wife, I learned today, produces films with Christopher Nolan. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah. His wife is Emma Thomas. And Emma Thomas produced uh, pretty much every one of Christopher Nolan's films going way back. Nice. Um, if you go ever find the opportunity, uh, look up the original film on YouTube. Check it out. Watch Christopher Nolan's first film if you're a fan of Christopher Nolan. It's uh, fun. It's different from what you might expect. I think it was called Following. I'm not positive about that, but go check it out. And Emma Thomas produced it for him. It looks like something he may have made right out of you know, you know, m- you know, movie university, wherever mm. he got his training professionally. Just very, um, very, very independent and very small budget, but. You could see some greatness there in the works. But yeah, so cool to see uh, yeah, Emma Thomas and uh, what a family of talent. Uh, husband and wife and brother involved in these films together. 
Yeah. Well, let's spend 60 more seconds on this and then move on. The other the other thing that I'm uh, excited about is uh, looking at the cast list of Man of Steel. I don't actually know who Henry Cavill is, but I hear he's good. Um, Amy Adams. Uh, I have not seen any film with her in it that wasn't good. Um, I mean, she's just a remarkable actress. Um, you know, I've seen I've seen one or two, but I have to admit that it wasn't because of her performance. Yeah. she always does a good performance. I mean, you, I mean, tell me, tell me, you've seen Enchanted? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, wow. What I mean, that that's just such a great movie. Um, yeah, and, and and her performance in uh, Night at the Museum too was just excellent. Um, you now, know. Uh, one other uh, note about the uh, the Man of Steel. What was it? It was on the tip of my tongue. Uh, oh, Henry Cavill. Uh, is that how you pronounce his last name? Cavill, Cavill? I think. I believe that's Cavill? correct. I okay. Think. That guy's British. And if you have you read any articles about Hollywood's opinion of American heroes and superheroes and how they pick and what the rhyme and reason is for picking a, a manly hero? Well, uh, I don't know that I have. No, go ahead. Okay. I've read some articles and it's really peculiar. And it's something worth noting going into our discussion with Equilibrium and discussing Batman, which we did last week, that you know, uh, Christian Bale and Henry Cavill ha- had something in common. One of the reasons that they were cast for Batman and Superman was because the the producers, the filmmakers behind it all felt that for the most part – American actors aren't especially manly enough for the the archetype superhero roles. I don't find that surprising. Yeah, so they they <laughs> they actually went hunting for British actors on purpose. Hmm, and that's why they they discovered, you know, Christian Bale for the part and Henry Cavill that when they were reviewing the situation they said, "Look, Americans these days, if you're athletic and manly physically, you're probably not very, um, you know, you're just not very mature in your ways. You're not very learned. You're not focused on academics and culture, science, and mm. you're, you're not a well-rounded person. On the flip side, in America, if you're interested in science and culture, uh, the arts, then you're probably not very athletic. And so you're not a very manly man either on that end. So I'm, I'm kind of uh, turning red here and, and <laughs> yeah. with embarrassment because <laughs> I'm not yeah. necessarily the most physically fit person. Yeah. <laughs> so I fit, I fit the second stereotype perhaps, and although then, I'm not an actor, but <laughs> so then there is uh, men in the UK, right? And generally speaking, when Hollywood wants to find a, a leading male role, that is a well-rounded individual who's both very physically athletic or capable of being so looks like a man's man and is a very mature person who is well-educated and very cultural. They go for somebody in the UK because they, they tend to be, they tend not to uh, divide as much men over there are both athletic and they're very um, you know, they're just very cultural at the same time. Hmm, that, that is very interesting. And it, it makes a certain amount of sense to me. But, uh, yeah, that is interesting. And then the other two actors mentioned, and then we'll move on. Uh, Russell Crowe does seem like a great fit for Jarrell and obviously a great actor. I mean, just uh, if you haven't seen Gladiator, shame on you. Go see it. Great, 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 great actor. And then uh, Lawrence Fishburne from The Matrix. Another trick about the the two fathers, Jonathan Kent played by, what is it, um, Jim Caviezel? No. Kevin Costner. 
Kevin Costner, thank you. Uh, I hate getting those names mixed up. Okay, Kevin Costner is heard in one version of this uh, this, uh, teaser trailer of The Man of Steel, and uh, Russell Crowe is in another. Interesting. So go check it out and hear the different sound bites. The two men say different lines. Well, we will get those uh, trailers linked in the show notes. Uh, Show notes you'll be able to find at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash three. Okay, so Total Recall. I saw the trailer for that as well last week uh, for The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, I'm kind of excited about that. I don't know. Did you see the original? I did not. Okay, uh, you know, point the just the, the bottom line is the original, just watching it, you felt like this is a film that so needs to be remade. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, from, from the moment of seeing total recall all i've wanted to do was see the remake and so is this 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 is a remake of that film yeah okay yeah yeah, it had arnold schwarzenegger in that that original film and so i have high hopes for it except that it seems so over the top that i have a hard time seeing it being a great film Mm. yet um you know uh, anticipation for this film is very high it's a you know, audiences on a uh, movie bite are very eager to see it. Sorry, not movie bite uh, for rotten tomatoes. Folks on rotten tomatoes are very eager to see it. So, yeah. Well, have you seen, uh, I mean, it reminds me in concept of the technology and stuff. Have you seen minority report? Yes. Well, you know, it was the original story of total recall was a short story written by the same author who wrote the story for minority report. Okay. Well, I really love Minority Report, and seeing the same type of ideas and technology, um, that, that just made me want to see Total Recall all the more. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely the movie to see this weekend if you're going to see anything. Um, yeah, out of 30,000 people who have uh, offered their opinion on Rotten Tomatoes, 96% want to see Total Recall. Yeah, I mean, it looks like it's going to be – I mean, it's not going to be a really deep film or anything like, uh, say, Gladiator, since we've already mentioned that. Love that film. Um, but it does look like it's going to be a great film. I'm, I'm contemplating my wife's birthday is this weekend. We haven't formulated all our plans yet, but I'm contemplating maybe going and seeing that movie with her. I think she might like it as well. So, well, then you have a cool wife. My, my wife doesn't want to go see it with me. Oh, well, that's a bummer. Yeah. When she heard it was a remake of a movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, she was like, ah, not interested. Huh? You can't dismiss movies out of hand like that. Nope. <laughs> All right, your wife, uh, my wife, they need to they need to get on the phone and talk. Well, you and I, we need to we need to get together as you know, get our families together sometime and just uh, hang out a little bit. Yeah, for the movie by year, you know, yeah. uh, reunion every Re- year, retreat reunion. or whatever you want to call it, retreats. Yeah, the retreat. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, total recall. I'm, I may see it this weekend. We'll see. And uh, I'm thinking I may want to see it even just so that we could talk about it on the podcast. So are you going to see it? Oh, definitely. I'm this looking week, forward this, to it this weekend. Yes. Okay, then I'm going to see it this weekend. I'll, I'll make an effort to go see it. All, All right. right. Let's, yeah. Let's Born Legacy. Let's for next week, that one. Born Legacy. Born Le- now, I have not seen the trailer, so can you tell me about this? What's going on? Uh, oh, boy. You would ask me that. Uh, let's see. So, the Born Legacy, um, apparently the idea is that there was never only one, uh, referencing Jason Bourne. And so, um, Jeremy Renner is featured prominently in the trailer. And at first, and, and I even posted on Buzzing Pixel about this uh, at the time. It was called Apple User Pro before I changed the name. Um, I, I just wasn't. I, I, the trailer looked somewhat interesting, but I wasn't all that excited about it. Like, what? You, seriously, you, you think you can have uh, born without born? What is that all about? 
Uh, but then the next trailer featured some flashbacks from Bourne, and I started getting a little more excited about it. At this point, I, I think I want to see it, but I, at, at, uh, on some level, I feel like, okay, they're, they're, it feels like they might be trying to milk the, the money cow a little bit. Mm. But we'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm holding out a, a thread of hope. I know that the Bourne uh, series was all based on some novels, and the first three films were based on the first three novels mm, that were kinda. all written by the same author. Kind of. My wife is really – she doesn't like the Bourne ser- movie series because they strayed from the book so far after the first one. Oh, I agree. Um, I, that was the next thing I was going to mention is that they really do deviate. But the fourth book, this one, uh, this film is based after is the Bourne uh, – what was it? The Legacy? The Bourne Legacy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, had to, I got that mixed up with um, – some other legacy movie, I forget what it was. But yeah, it's it's a completely different author. So I, I have to wonder is did the studio just kind of wing it this time and come up with a completely unique story and give it by you know the same name as the fourth installment, or did they is there any shred of the book that this is based after? I'm kind of curious. My guess would be it's not based on the book at all. I mean, that's they've they've strayed pretty far from the books. And and I, I think that's okay because sometimes when you try to fit a really good book into a movie, it just doesn't work well. And it, the same things in, in a book don't often work in a movie. And sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. Which of the Bourne films did you think was the best? Uh, it, you know, it's one of those things where you can't have I, one without the other. I know. But. I really liked the first one. And I liked the second one as well, but I hated that they killed – Oh no! I'm gonna forget her name right here on the air. What was the his name? His wife. Yeah, what his wife, his girlfriend, <laughs> whatever. Um, they killed her at the beginning of the movie. I I just I hated that so much. It just it felt like it was ant- antithetical to good storytelling. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I, I it, it, it was it was, <laughs> was it was I know it was his motivation, but it just felt poorly done and poorly executed. And and then that was like the only faux pas really that that I because other than that I really enjoyed the movie and even liked the whole concept. Of how the events. Oh wait, am I getting confused with the third movie now? One of the movies, the events take uh, half of the events take place before the events of the previous movie, or, or in between, or something like that. Oh, it's been a while. I need to go watch them again. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. talking about? Yeah, no, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, I, I wasn't crazy about the Bourne supremacy because there was way too much shaking cam. I think they definitely. They 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 certainly had that in the first movie, but I felt like it was done to great effect. Uh, and, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. they had such yeah, good results with it. I feel like they went overboard after that. I agree. It's like oh, let's let's take this really great thing that's if done properly and with the right type of movie, the right type of genre, and in the right circumstances, let's do it all the time. And yeah. no, uh, no, <laughs> I I agree with you out there. And it, I feel like unfortunately, it started a trend that we're we're still trying to recover from. <laughs> but thankfully, the Born Ultimatum did recover a lot of that. It, it wasn't like the shaky cam of the Born Supremacy. I think they learned in that tri- that trilogy not to do it again. Well, could you have the producers and director talk to J.J. Abrams, please? Mm, yeah, good point. <laughs> because he needs to learn that now. Well, actually, my big thing with J.J., at least in the Star Trek movie, was lens flares. Oh, my word. Oh, but that was so fun. No. The lens flares. No. I dig them. No. Lights Joseph, in my eyes. Joseph, we can no longer be friends. I'm sorry. Goodbye. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was short. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm sorry. But but no, the shaky cam too that J.J. Abrams did in, in Star Trek. I just it, it felt like come on. I want to see what's going on. Stop it. <laughs> um. So yeah, I I feel like it's just so overused now, and it's such a. Uh, well then, uh, what do you think of uh, Super Eight? I have not seen it. 
Okay. You got to watch it. I I know. It was on my list to see, and it's just, I've been so busy this year with different (laughs) things going on. Um, Although that came out last year, didn't it? Yeah, it came out like last April or so. There goes my excuse. All right. Well, Mm. (laughs) uh, anyway, I lose track of time. Yeah, I'll I'll see it at some point. We need to move on. We're going to have to, yeah, we're going to have to trim that one out because we can't have you dishing out three confessions in one episode. (laughs) I'm sorry. We got to, we got to talk about this better beforehand. Okay. So have you seen the Avengers? Uh, of course I've seen the Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So yeah, the Avengers came out with their post credits clip online. So that anyone that missed it um, in theaters because they were impatient and had to go use the bathroom or get out of there. <laughs> Are you uh, saying that you missed it? No, I, I saw it. Okay. This okay. I was going to say like, like any good movie geek, you have to stay through all the credits. I, I never the leave before the credits are over. Marvel films, especially uh, it, when you've seen as many movies in theaters as I have, you're going to change your mind about sticking it out for all the credits. Well, um, there, there are movies I make exceptions for. Like if I really hated the movie and really didn't care, I'll leave. But if it's a good movie, I feel like you should stay for the through the whole thing. Even, even Christopher Nolan films, which never have anything after the credits. Um, oh yeah, you should stay. I mean, it's a you know yeah. you should you really should. Yes, um, yes. But but especially with with Joss Whedon, I mean, I've never seen a movie that I mean, he's I've only known his TV work, but I just knew I just knowing Joss Whedon's character and 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 the way he makes things, I just knew there were going to be more than one clips uh, in, in the credits. I and and I was not disappointed. Um, and and so yes, they I I posted on Movie Byte uh, earlier today. They released um, a the, one of the uh, post credit clips, uh, which uh, is the other talking to Thanos. Thanos, you're better, you're a bigger comic book geek than I am. Help me out here. Well, uh, the all that the audience needs to know is that these were some evil dark lords of alien races that were plotting their next scheme for u- universal takeover. Would you say? Um, take it over the galaxy, something of that nature. Yeah, I think that's it. the implication. Yep. In any in any event, it's not good for human beings. No, no, probably not good for anything. No, cosmic dust, not good for anything. Not, not and certainly not good for the Asgardians, either. Hmm. No, yeah, I I think that perhaps they could be suggesting that to top the scale of the first Avengers film, they would have a cross. Uh, planetary war. I could see that that would be the next step. The two involve um, Earth alongside of other planets rather than just having the Avengers collected here to Earth to protect it. Yeah, that might Um, be kind of fun. I can only imagine the kind of humor we get out of Tony Stark in these situations about different looks of aliens and and all kinds of... (laughs) There's just so much opportunity for his humor there. I just can't even imagine. (laughs) Captain America, too, in, in his more subtle way. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah, um, Avengers. It's of course, uh, I'm, I'm, Avengers is such a great film. So I'm looking forward to the next one. So this is fun to see uh, again that clip that they're. It feels to me they're definitely setting up the next one. So the fun thing about those clips at the end of the Marvel films is that they're fun is uh, for the fans to watch. Oh yeah. But the, uh, honestly, to goodness truth is, they're actually not necessary. And I mean, hey, if you're a crazy fan about the Marvel films, then you can uh, argue that point with me. But otherwise. They don't really have anything to do with the film you just watched, except that they give you a teaser. They're they're a teaser well in advance. Right. In this well, case, no, I mean, especially, I think, I think they're fun more than anything. Uh, especially, you know, I mean, this one was more of a setup. The that that clip that was released today, and obviously that was very much a setup, and not necessarily just for the fun of it. But the the, the other clip that was at the end of the Avengers was just so fun. Uh, just, just you know, they're all just sitting around the table 
stuff in their faces and just worn out and completely, you know, that, that was just so fun. Yes. <laughs> At the very end, that, that one you've got to see. Yes, yes, yes. Definitely. But yeah, I mean, Avengers is really good. Do you, do you agree? Avengers was great. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. um, yeah, the, the, uh, did you notice that at the end of the Thor trailer and its clip that they showed, it gave, a, it was kind of misleading. It made you feel like there was a, a dirty handed corruption among one of the humans that was working with, um, what was that, um, that Asgardian that turned on Thor. Um, but anyway, talking about the, Loki? yeah, Loki, sorry. But do you remember the <laughs> scientist that was working with Loki that, uh, the scientist was like working, you know, behind the scenes. He was uh, dirty handed. He was corrupt from within. No, it, I don't. But it I was, hate, suge- uh, it I was, was suggested. so disappointed with Thor. I just kind of put it out of my mind. Oh yeah, yeah. I I, I enjoyed Thor. Uh, kind of. We, we we need to save that for another podcast. We'll talk about we'll talk about how awful it is in another podcast. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, no, I I don't quite remember what you're talking about. Okay. Well then, uh. Yeah, enough of the current movie stuff. Or one more thing, I just have to mention it. Um, okay, and then we can then we can get to our main topic. It's uh, the next generation on Blu-ray. I actually posted this. Uh, uh, was it the twenty fourth on the Movie Bite before we went live with it? Because I was thinking we're going to go live any day, and I want to talk about uh, this. But let's not take the, this for granted. Uh, the next generation. Uh, what is that? Oh, I'm sorry, Star Trek: The Next Generation on Blu-ray. Please mm, tell me so, that you've seen some episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Oh, yeah. Okay, all right. So uh, this is going to be all seasons? Yeah, eventually. They're coming out with seasons one and two this year uh, on Blu-ray. And this is a massive undertaking. This is even a much bigger undertaking than the original series on uh, on in HD and remastered was. The original series, I mean, it was good that they did it. I was not, I, the, the original series is not, uh, I'm not the hugest fan, but um, it's good. It's okay. And I, I have them, of course, as, as a fan of Star Trek, and I watch them. And what they did uh, a couple years ago, was they took the original film edits, which everything was still edited on 16-millimeter film at the time in television, and uh, so they, they, they had all the edits already preserved on film, and so they were able to then take and then put in new digital effects, because the effects did not hold up from the 60s. They were horrible. Um, and so they put in new digital effects and remastered and restored the original series. And that was, that was certainly an undertaking. However... With the next generation, uh, everything was edited. They they shot it on film on sixteen millimeter film. Actually, I think they shot it on thirty five millimeter film, but they edited it all on tape, video, and so none of it. And they they even did some tests uh, for up converting it to HD. None of it was none of it held up well. It didn't work well, and so th- they are going back to the archives. And apparently, it's been archived very well. But they've got to take and reassemble all the edits, edit for edit, the way it was edited on tape. Um, and so that's what they're doing is they're taking the original film negatives. We're talking about the dailies the, and, and re-editing. And um, the other thing I'm excited about is that they are taking the original film effects. They're not redoing it all in CGI. They're taking the original and, and recompositing it all with today's technology. But mm. the original film effects, wherever possible, there's, there are exceptions where they just they, they don't have it or they can't or maybe the effect was done in video at the time and video resolution and so they have to do it CGI. Uh, but for the most part, they're trying to preserve it as good as possible. And I'd like to, I'd like to watch this series all the way through now. Um, yeah, you will find that the first and second season are the worst, and and it's a wonder the show survived the first and second season. Really, there's some gems in the first and second season. Um, Measure of a Man, for instance, was a great episode in season two. Uh, 
this is the first one that comes to mind. There were others, but but there was a lot of lot of bad ones in there as well. But I'm 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 excited on the whole. After you get to season three, you had some really that's that's some really great Star Trek in there. And there's seven seasons, so very excited about that. And I've gone on way too long about it. So, uh, <laughs> well, good for you. Yes. <laughs> so um, glad you got your your next yeah. generation it, on. I got the sampler disc. It actually looks really amazing. So, mm. so yeah. what did they have on the sampler disc? Uh, it was an episode from season one. Actually, it was the pilot episode, which eh, is not that great, but it was fun to see anyway. And it did help it that it was in so much better quality. Um, mm. The pilot episode, uh, what was that called? I can't remember. Encounter at Farpoint. And they had um, one of the con- widely considered best episodes of Star Trek, Sins of the Father, where Worf, uh, Worf is uh, uh, dishonored by the, the Klingon people. And then they had um, another one that's highly acclaimed, uh, The Inner Light, where Picard basically lives a whole uh, lifetime in a in, in the span of 25 minutes. A probe has come from a, uh, an extinct civilization and beams to him all this this experience so that somebody can be alive that knew that knows about the culture of that even though the culture is now extinct so that was a, and those two sins of the father and and inner light are really great episodes so that was fun to see hmm. all right well yeah i'm ready to talk about this uh, week's episodes movie so all right equilibrium yes main topic equilibrium now you know what we need to address here tj is that there's probably some people in our of our listeners that are aware of equilibrium maybe they've seen it maybe back in the day they just you know said eh or maybe they maybe they liked it you know who knows but the it seems to me there's a lot of people that have never heard about this film or they don't know about it because well maybe they've heard of it but they never saw it yeah. Have you have you noticed that? Yeah, well, I, I know that not a lot of people know about it, or or maybe they knew about it, but it's like, eh, you know, I don't know, whatever. Um, but this movie came out in, what was it, 2002 or 2002. Three? 2002, right before, the year before uh, Ma- the second and third Matrix films came out. And that probably has a lot to do with it. Because the Matrix, uh, well, probably took stole the equilibrium's thunder and justly so i would i would probably say so although i would consider this a better film than the second third matrix films and i like the matrix films but this is certainly i think a better film not better than the first one but better than the second third one so it is kind of a bummer and and the matrix was matrix the second third matrix films were really hyped up because the first one was so good so certainly i think it did probably steal the thunder a little bit uh, right. Just the idea that that was coming up, and you know, I, I don't remember much about that time. I wasn't really into movies in 2002 as much, um, so I don't remember kind of what all was going on in the film world or anything like that. But I can only imagine that that affected it. I uh, just for the sake of those people though that are unfamiliar with the Equilibrium story, please stick with us. This is a fabulous movie. We wouldn't be talking about it if it wasn't. I don't think this early on in our uh, podcast series no. because we want you to listen to us. No, we'll so, get, we'll, we'll talk about really bad movies later in our, in our episodes. But but yeah. yes, we're talking about really good movies for the first few episodes. And okay, so, uh, yeah, so let me give you the. Let me give the let me give the audience the summary. Of, you know, the, the a glimpse of what the story is all about. Um, here here was a uh, good summary I found on IMDb. It says at the end of World War Three, the world fell under the control of Father and the te- the tetragr- sorry the tetragrammaton. There you go. Te- <laughs> no, 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 tetragrammaton. No. Thank you. Tongue twister. Tetragrammaton, a government that outlaws all forms of art and emotion. Citizens are forced to take drugs that eliminate emotions. However, 
Sense offenders, citizens who resist the laws and operate underground, are continually at war with the Tetragrammaton. John Preston is a cleric, an elite super soldier whose mission is to hunt down and eliminate sense offenders with the help of a ruthless police force. One day, Preston accidentally breaks his morning dose of emotion-suppressant drugs and begins to feel. Soon, he begins sympathizing with the sense offenders and begins to understand the beauty of feeling, a beauty that the government, in which Preston spent all of his life serving, would like to see destroyed. So yeah, that's uh, that's a good way to introduce the film. I thought, yeah, fairly fairly accurate. I there were some minor quibbles. I was like, eh, where, where did you read this from? IMDb. Okay. Some some fan wrote it. Right. It's not yeah. Perfect. Yeah. But it, it gives the, it gives you the idea. It definitely gives you a sense of what's going on. And uh, it's this, sci-fi. It's it's it a, about totalitarian you know, totalitarian government, um, a despotic society, uh, dystopian. It's uh. But also, it's really well done, in my opinion. I agree. Uh, Compared to a lot of other dystopian society-related movies, this This, one was really good. For people that do know about this movie, I feel like it gets a bad rap because, oh, it's it's like every other sci-fi dystopian film out there, and I really don't feel like it is. And and a lot of people have accused it of being like – too much like The Matrix. And sure, there's some similarities, but this really is a diamond kind of hidden jewel to me. But the bottom line is that the, the reason that people probably have not heard about Equilibrium was because of the popularity of the Matrix that took over it. Uh, a few of the people at the office today I was talking to, and those that had seen the film, they were like, oh, yeah, it's great. And then those that had not seen the film, they were like, uh, never heard of it. What are you talking about? Yeah. And these were, these were film buffs. Like I'm like, really? Come on, people. It's a Christian Bale film. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's actually I wanted to mention that. I think that's kind of the reason we stumbled on this as we were talking. Uh, was it was it in the after dark last week we were talking? Um, uh, I but think but it, yeah, or it may have come up in I am. I don't remember. But it's like, well, uh, you know, Christian Bale did this film a long time ago called Equilibrium. That's kind of fun. Maybe we could talk about that because we had been talking about Christian Bale and Batman. So, and that that was certainly fun too to see him uh, as a younger actor. Uh, you know. <laughs> Yeah, if you, have you looked at uh, Christian Bale's filmography? It cracked me up. I was just like, glancing at it. I glanced uh, at it. Yeah, he 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 goes way back. Uh, the first film of notoriety was called Empire of the Sun, and he was the starring role in that as a boy. Um, it was made in 1987, and it's mm. about uh, World War II, and he's just a, uh, a, ref- a refugee trying to escape uh, Nazi uh, prison camps and stuff. But he's a boy that gets separated from his parents, and it's about what happens to the that boy that got you know torn from his parents in, in the Nazi war. So there's that. But then you know he did a bunch of other hit or miss films throughout the '90s. Nothing great. At one time he played Jesus in um, a movie called Mary, Mother of Jesus, and then right after that he plays American Psycho. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, no further comment. But then a few, a few uh, it was just uh, five films later, after the uh, American Psycho, he played this role of the cleric in Equilibrium. Yeah, and I, I don't think, I mean, Christian Bale, I don't think is the most versatile actor that you could ever see. Like, not a, uh, since I was talk- just talking about Star Trek, uh, Patrick Stewart is a really versatile actor. He's not that. So I think in some respects you have to cast him right, but but he he is able I think to adapt somewhat, and 
Well, I don't mean to be a contrarian, but what films are you thinking about in relation to Patrick Stewart that make him a, uh, you know, a diverse actor? Okay. Have you seen Conspiracy Theory? Uh, rings a bell. Before Conspiracy Theory, I would have I would have been on your side. I would I would have been like, okay, Patrick Stewart really can only play one role, and that's kind of a good guy, goody two shoes, the Captain Picard type roles. Mm. He is a very bad guy in Conspiracy Theory. And by the way, this is another great movie. Maybe we should talk about that soon. Uh, this was mm, what nineteen ninety seven, I think. Mel Gibson, Julia Roberts, Patrick Stewart are the big names in that movie. And uh, he, I was thoroughly. Um, impressed with his performance and how well he was able to pull off i i did not see one hint of captain picard in that performance oh, okay. <laughs> so yes it, it was uh very good and and i've uh, since uh just even thinking of uh, i know it's another good guy role but uh charles xavier uh great does a great job with that role well in another role um uh, the scrooge he played as ebenezer scrooge i haven't seen that he wasn't half bad but uh, i think that I think that the whole Christmas Carol is kind of worn out right yeah, now. Yeah, I'm so, so done with that. Uh, did you see the one that was recently released, the kind of animated one with Jim Carrey? No, I have no desire uh, to. Don't either. don't see. It. I was forced into. It. I didn't want to see it, and but but our our church because actually you, watched because it. You, because you are a Patrick Stewart fan, though, you should probably try watching the uh, the Christmas Carol with him. It was trying to honor the book a little bit more faithfully than some of the other movies. Yeah, I probably should. But uh, again, I'm not a huge fan of the Christmas Carol anyway. So, you know, I mean, it's okay, but, and I well, mm. obviously I'm okay with the message. Yeah. Uh, well, watch but, the equilibrium every Christmas instead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, back back to Christian Bale. I mean, I don't think he's the most versatile actor, but he certainly does well in this type of role. And, and, uh, per, I mean, carried the role very well. In fact, I, I felt like uh, with most of the other actors, even though they're not supposed to be showing emotion, I was seeing emotion. And with Christian Bale, I felt like he did really well during the times when he wasn't supposed to be emotional. He wasn't. Mm, yes. So. Yeah, the whole the whole idea that he is an, an elite um, trooper of the, the government, he, he's especially trained in a martial arts that involves uh, guns. The uh, director, Kurt Wimmer, um, he is responsible for the made-up uh, martial arts called Gun Kata. Yeah, I was just looking for that name. I had just seen it recently. <laughs> Gun Kata. Yes. And it, the the same martial arts called Gun Kata was in um, Equilibrium and the movie Ultraviolet. Um, Kurt Wimmer is responsible for it. Interesting. And uh, yeah. yeah, but yeah, so that's what the these uh, special forces. Are four. Now, I would say this about Gun Kata and, and, and just all the fighting and, and all that in general. It's not meant to be realistic. Like, you're not supposed to necessarily no. believe that this is this could happen in the real world. It's not that sort of movie. Yeah, and th- there's that characteristic about dystopian society movies anyway. A film involving a, a fascist country, uh, there's many reasons to believe that it's it, it's hard to imagine – a society getting as corrupt as this one and at the same time working as well as this one works. Yeah. Well, I, I wrote, uh, I, I took a note. Uh, you have to suspend your disbelief for the idea that everyone takes their emotion medicine on, on time all the time. And, exactly. Yeah. You, you just gotta, you just gotta look past that a little bit and say, okay, yeah, this is, this is, uh, this is the way it is. <laughs> yeah. Even Christian Bell's character, he's, he's a grown man and yet, He's never gone off of the the serum, right? Well, they made a point prosium. of saying uh, he of pointing out he had never experienced emotion before he broke that vial and wasn't and 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 decided to not get it replaced. 
But then again, I guess that's uh, that's the world of father for you. Now, yeah. what did you think of the whole? Um, well, I guess we shouldn't jump there yet. First off, we should mention one other detail about this film. If you haven't ever heard of Equilibrium, again, we should note how it did in box offices. Oh, it's and such it, a tragedy. And I believe this goes back to it was just the time. It was that this film came out in the middle of the the Matrix hype. Those films were stealing all the thunder of other action films, sci-fi films. And this one just, uh, unfortunately, the, if you had to see them around the same time, you would think to yourself, well, obviously, the first one came out, and then the second one came out, and it was ripping it off, you know? Right. But no, Equilibrium, to you know, the best of my appreciation for it now, because I saw it years later. I saw The Matrix, and then years later, I saw Equilibrium. And I saw them in a completely different context. When I saw Equilibrium, I thought to myself for about half a second, <laughs> hey, that outfit that Christian Bell's wearing kind of reminds me of what Neo wore. It does, and that is a little unfortunate of a choice, <laughs> I agree. But there's not a lot more. I mean, and, and yes, it's sci-fi and it's dystopian, but the most of the then premise— that was it. Yeah, that most of the premise it. is not related to The Matrix at all. No, so. but this made a big impact on the film in theaters. So it cost about uh, $20 million it is estimated to make this film. But it only grossed worldwide five point three. Yeah, such Ouch. a such a tragedy. They, they lost a lot of money on that, and and, and it's, it's a tragedy because it's such a good film, you know. But see, it, it, now we should note not all films that make money are great films, and not True. all films that uh, that did poorly in theaters are regarded as poor films for all time. Yes, and then and that's obviously the case here. But what's interesting about this film is that all the critics, except for Ebert, that I found, um, hated it. They really hated it. And 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 if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, the uh, the critics all hate it, but but the uh, general audience loved it, hmm. which is I interesting. Ha- now, what did Ebert have to say about it, though? Okay, so Ebert says uh, Equilibrium would be a mindless action picture, except that it has a mind. It doesn't do a lot of deep thinking, but unlike many futuristic com- combos of sci-fi and effects, it does make a statement. Freedom of opinion is a threat to totalitarian systems. Dictatorships of both the left and right are frightened by the idea that their citizens of their citizens thinking too much or having too much fun. Hmm. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 there's some things I disagree with Ebert on, but he. Uh, he goes on. It's it's a good review. That'll be in the show notes, and he gives it three or five stars. So, well, thank you, Ebert, for agreeing with us. Yeah. So, so uh, I, I would have given it four or five. So, and he talks well about it. So, I you know three seems like mediocre to me if you're doing three out of five, and I would have given it a four. But anyway, hmm. um, yeah. But yeah. So I I do think that this film's appreciation is only going to go up and up with more years that go by. Um. A classic example of a of a film that did extremely poorly in the early years, and then long term did exceptionally great. The you know the the poster child for this would be um, "It's a Wonderful Life." In its early uh, years, the first year it came out, it totally tanked. And, so so uh, people had a hey, people had the proper perception of it back when it came out. Mm, mm, <laughs> mm, mm. And so then, like years later, it made a comeback on television, and you know, TV stations chose to re-air it every Christmas, and it took it. It just took off with audiences then, and it became a huge deal to this day. So yeah, unfo- unfortunately, 
but there's no <laughs> there's no holidays to um, associate equilibrium for. So. No, and unfortunately, I, I don't feel like it's the type of film that will get that uh, second wind and second comeback ever. I, yeah, um, just no, by the nature, sci- and sci-fi just doesn't tend to have second chances like that, uh, but, which is know, unfortunate. I could see maybe uh, seeing a like a reboot or a remake of it made some years from now. Uh, it, like by some, I could see it turning into a comic book first, and then that hitting it off really well because some someone in our generation really appreciates it, and so they finally come out with an adaptation that somehow ultimately turns into another ongoing series. Who knows? I could see something like that happening one day. Who knows? It's hard to tell what what might happen. I mean, it's yeah. definitely a film that ended the story. Um, uh, effectively, it wraps things up tight, you know, very neatly at the end. Grant you, though, there's a lot of room for a continuation of the story. Sure. So who knows? Sure. Def- definitely, yeah. Now, there were two other um, pretty good performances besides Christian Bale's. And oh, yeah. this was my introduction to Sean Bean. Oh, really? And he has such a small bit role in this, oh, like it's, so it's, many films that he has. Yeah. But yeah, for what he's worth, I, I really dig that guy. He's good. He's a great actor. It's interesting though. He it's this is one of the few movies where he plays a really actually good guy. I mean, I know he technically he was a good guy in Lord of the Rings and he did the right thing and I every time I watch the Lord of the Rings the Fellowship of the Ring, I always cry when he dies. But he's still not a great character. Like you hate him up until that point. And and most movies that he's in, he tends to play a bad guy, but here he plays uh, a good guy. He's he's one of the good guys. He's wearing the white hat. Yeah. And uh and uh, <laughs> seeing him alongside of Christian Bale, that's fun. It was interesting, yes. Now, then uh, the – I also appreciate any film that doesn't have a straight-up standard love interest. Yes. And, no, that's, I love that about this film. Uh, yeah. F- for a sci-fi, it, it didn't need to be concerned with a traditional love story. It realized the strong points in this story were elsewhere. They did not need to develop that, you know, for the main character. So it was quite relieving that he could explore other parts of the the psychology introduced in the film. And uh, yeah, they they kind of skirt over a love story, and they introduce uh, Emily Watson's character, who plays very influential role, very powerful role, yes. because of how her character related to the uh, the cleric's wife and how the cleric felt about his wife he he felt like she, this character was an echoing of his experience with his wife and what happened to his wife oh yeah and i i think that that they didn't pursue it as a love interest but as more as a shadow or a type of of now that he's starting to experience emotion it's making him think of the emotion that he should have had when his wife was sent to the furnace uh i and 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 i have to say this is just uh I haven't seen a lot of movies with Emily Watson. In fact, I think I've only seen one other movie with Emily Watson. But certainly in this movie, she was she played the part well. Excellent actress. Uh, yeah, and and she didn't actually in, in her her regard and involving a lot of the people in the movie. And uh, uh, there's an underground movement where people that don't uh, agree with a dystopian society have uh, gone into hiding. They they uh, they maybe they they pretend to be emotionless during the day and at, at night in secret places they get together but it, what was really nice was just how that society and then the the relationship to the the rebels those that worked in the underground the uh those in the underground 
represented everything that was not sci-fi. Did you notice that? Yes, definitely. There wasn't anything about them that was characteristic of a, sh- a sci-fi genre. Um, they they were just so kind of like modern day good people, good guys. Um, the way you know people they, they, these are people that appreciated the arts, culture, civilization for what it used to be, what it could be at, in its golden era. They, they obviously they stash up all these worldly goods that that. Uh, inspire human emotion, and it's it's interesting the kinds of things that they have hoarded and they have salvaged. Some things that you, you don't think of um, that human emotion uh, clings to, you know, establishes a connection to. That I just thought they were quite illustrative. Things that we can't uh, that we take for granted all around us. These people who live in a society where there's no beauty, there's no materially goods, no worldly goods. Nothing of uh, value, no personal possessions. They hoard everything, just uh, old-fashioned stuff, <laughs> a lot of old-fashioned yeah. stuff. Yeah. Well, and it was particularly powerful because um, – and, 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 and it really worked well on screen because you're seeing all of this really clean, pristine, sci-fi-like – stuff and and just shiny metal techie stuff and then all of a sudden you know yeah. you break through the wall and it's this, it's a relief you're you're in this different world that's full of color and patterns and you know different lighting it's not the austere industrial lighting yeah it really worked well and, and on, on that note just talking about the whole film mind you there were times of the matrix trilogy i, I guess I, sh- I want to compare it here just for a second Parts of the Matrix didn't actually work for me. They didn't feel like they they fit well um, or worked on the whole. They just didn't gel together. Um, ah, and one of those problems being the the sci fi element that was always very present. Um, something that worked in this film, however, was that they were dealing with human relationships on so many different levels. They had a very um, very influential relationship of um, the civilian. The citizen with his uh, magistrate, they have a relationship between uh, father and son and uh, husband and wife, man and his best friend. Uh, just all these different uh, relationships that you have throughout society were well executed where you got to see the influences that uh, a dystopian society like this one would have on all those human relationships. Yeah. Every, every one of them was well blended. And they just gelled very well together. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And 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 you know, just broaching that on the Matrix a little bit, I think I think that's certainly more even more prominent in the second and third film, and why that they didn't work as well. And I I find this a lot when you ignore the human relationships, you know. And and the same thing can be said for Star Trek. Uh, some of the best Star Trek is not when they're talking all the te- Trekno babble, as we like to call it, and, and talking about <laughs> all the, the great, cool sci-fi stuff. It's when the human relationships and the characters are interacting, and you're getting uh, great. I mean, and, and that's why I think the first Matrix film was so great, is because it was about relationships and characters, and and they kind of lost sight of that, I think, in the second and third film. And uh, yeah, I think I agree with you. I think that's what they had going here is they focused in. Yeah, I mean they did. They didn't mind showing you the cool sci-fi stuff, but they really focused in on emotions and relationship. I mean, obviously the whole film was about emotion, yeah. Uh, and they focused in on the on that, and and that's what I think makes this such a great film. 
you know, in a weird way, it's not very often you can say this, and it's not very often you can say this about such a dark um, film, sci-fi film. But in some strange ways, I actually relate to the story because it was a uh, a program I took several years ago, a few years before I saw Equilibrium, a program I took that was sort of like a boot camp training for a construction crew. And in this course, we were stripped from society and worked on a construction site for the most part uh, every day of the week, except for the weekends. We lived and worked on the construction sites for five months. Sounds horrible. It, it was very, it was a very challenging learning experience. And certainly not one I would want to ever live and not one I would ever want to put anybody through. But it's one of those things like boot camp where once you've done it, it's an honor system. Like you can say, I did that. And you actually, I learned a lot. But it, it, it felt like a despotic society. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We were five guys with our trainers and we had a construction crews that we would work with. But um, it was a different sort of program. And we did a lot of good for the city. We we were involved in remodeling for the poor and uh, reconstructing some hospitals. But it was weird, right? Because we lived in an old hospital that had been converted into a, a it was be in the process of being converted into a hotel. So while we were in there, uh, it was an empty old shell of a hospital, and walls were bare, cement walls and. Uh, everything was just very drab for five months. And uh, at times while watching equal, watching equilibrium, it just felt like, huh, I know what it looks like to live in that kind of space. And I know what it feels like to be stripped from a society that has these worldly pleasures that we can relate to with our human relationships and with emotions. And in in a lot of ways, our experience was like boot camp. We didn't go shopping. We didn't have radios and stuff like that. So when we got a glimpse of, you know, art or culture, it'd bring us to tears. (laughs) And uh, I felt like, yeah, watching this film, it, it actually was very well played when characters were experiencing emotions for the first time because I was like, wow, hey, they 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 kind of know what that feels like. That's that, that reminds me of my own experiences. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there's also some relevance to, uh, to the big brother aspect uh, that <laughs> we kind of worry about what's going on and where we're headed now. And, I, you know, I, obviously this is way over the top and you just can't imagine a society like this. But there's some, I think, some something there that you go, okay, yeah, the big brother is kind of – He's got our best interests in mind here, you know. So Yeah. Well, and on that note, though, uh, if anyone is thinking about watching this film, uh, don't let it bother you. If you don't like Big Brother films, this film sure. pays off. It's really good. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, really, yeah. It's kind of like the uh, the Star Wars films. You know, there's a there's a horrible, evil empire, but um, in the end, it's worth it <laughs> to, oh, to yeah. see such a, a tragic society yeah, and yeah, yeah. watch the story unfold. Yep. Now, what um, are the other... One of the things, though, I didn't like. You want, you want to talk about our dislikes now? Sure, sure, sure. I was annoyed by the villain, Father and Dupont. Uh, I I felt like at the uh, the end of the story, they they contradicted themselves enough that it was hard to identify a genuine motivation for their actions and for leading the society as they did. 
without just assuming that these were purely maniacs. Yeah. Well, yeah. They just seemed hollow in a way. Well, and another another way that it didn't work well, both uh, Brandt and uh, DuPont uh, are often seen emoting. And you would you would think even if they're I think the implication is they're not on the medicine that this is their you know they're making the rest of us do what they don't do, but at the same time you'd think them emoting in front of everybody would be kind of a, a eyebrow raiser. Now Dupont is one of the villains. Who is you said Brent? Who's Brent? Uh, he was the uh, the partner that got after Sean Bean was killed. He oh, got yeah? assigned. Yeah, yeah. You felt that he was emoting in one. Oh, cases? he emoted all the time. <laughs> You think he would, so? He would smile, and he would say, <laughs> you know, he would, and 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 when uh, when he arrested Preston, oh, he was gloating and so happy. He yeah. was Christian Bell's uh, co-star, Tay Diggs, and I I really enjoyed his performance. Oh, but sure, I, guess I did you're too. Right. You, you are right. He he usually had a smirk on or a smile. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, very, very emotional. Maybe he had a hard time keeping <laughs> a straight face. Yeah, but, very um, emotional, and and I felt the same way with uh, Dupont. I mean, just like uh, dude, and I know that he's like not even supposed to be taking the probably not taking the emotion stuff. He's in charge and he's using the situation, his advantage, but at the same time, he, you know, there was a scene where he, he pounded his fist on the desk. Are you playing with me? You know, yeah. and it's like, dude, <laughs> come on. You're, you're emoting right here in front of all the clerics and stuff. What is this? Yeah. And, and, well, and grant you the clerics and the, the other police, his, his goons, they've all been on the prosium, uh, you know, emotions, uh, what do you call it? Uh, suppressor, all their lives. So perhaps they just didn't know how to compute that. Perhaps so. Yeah. Oh, I have a theory. This hasn't occurred to me before now, but perhaps, uh, there's a council mentioned in the movie. There uh, is. In addition to their, their head, you know, totalian totalitarian leader. Although you have to wonder if they were made up as made up as father was. <laughs> yeah. But it, in any case, you have to wonder if you were running a society of people that didn't have any emotions, what would become of the leader who didn't have any emotions? Because if he doesn't have emotions, what motivation does he have um, to lead? His right. People? You're saying, and I agree, that emotions and drive are so wrapped up and tied together. You know, whatever it is that drives yeah. you, how, what Somebody would be driving would him to maintain to that control? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody would have to be emotional to be driven well enough to to lead this whole society. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's it's a little strange. Yeah, there, I mean, there, we're not saying there's not plot holes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know what bothered me a little bit? Um, there were there were parts of the music that I loved. Uh, I really like the um, like the film opens with this almost this. It's not chanting, but it's like this. Uh, chorus of voices kind of choir-esque and that that motif is used throughout the film and i loved that but there were other times when the music felt really cheap and cheesy you think so i thought so i i think you're i think you're right i don't think it was um horrible but it it could have been a lot more i guess because it was uh the composer was claus badelt um that it's easy to assume that it would be a really powerful soundtrack. Um, Claus is well known for his involvement with films like the soundtrack for the gladiator and the original pirates of the Caribbean. Yes. In fact, he, he is, he, he scored the original pirates and, but he's also a student of Hans Zimmer's. So, um, yeah, you would expect a little better from him and maybe, maybe he just didn't have any budget. I, I wonder, there were some parts where it sounded like 
it wasn't orchestra music. It was uh, synthesized. And I wondered maybe this is because the budget wasn't there or something. Maybe, but I don't know. Twenty million is a that's a big budget. So I don't know. Maybe they just uh, allocated it to other things, or maybe Claus was thinking that it was a good idea for this futuristic society. Um, maybe he wanted the the, the electronic sounding instruments to to pr- produce a hollow emptiness yeah, s- sort of sound to reflect. To, but it, it, I think that may have been what he was going for, but I don't think it worked well. Yeah, it didn't work. I mean, if you're going to compare it to The Matrix again, um, I felt like they did that better with The Matrix. Um, but I think overall, even The Matrix suffered a little from that. I, I think uh, I, I think we've proven that... Uh, <laughs> all right, let's look at the 80s. It's never a good idea to score films in a way that's not going to be relevant in 10 years. It's just not. <laughs> yeah. In <laughs> uh, right. the 80s is a classic example of that. And and what I find is is films that were orchestrally scored. Uh, I'm going to use an illustration again that I love to use, Star Trek II. You, this is – I probably mention it in every podcast now. <laughs> um, but um, they wanted to uh, cut the budget on the music and use synthesized music. And the director, Nicholas Meyer, said, no, that I will not have it. I, I will walk away, and I will not finish this film. Uh, and so he, they relented, and the reason that movie still holds up today is because it has great orchestral music. Hmm. So I, I feel like it's always a mistake to go the route that I feel like they dabbled with here in Equilibrium. Hmm. That's just my opinion. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're on to something. My last, uh, my last dislike of the film I want to mention is that while it has a great setup and it certainly has a great uh, mystery story that unfolds and it explores the human emotions throughout a, a fairly uh, unique sci-fi fantasy action thriller, uh, in the end, uh, did you feel that it was predictable? I kind of think it is. Yeah, I, I, it's hard for me to look at it now, and and because I, I watch, I've watched the movie before, and it's hard. I can't remember, but I, it seems like I predicted that Dupont, that there was no father, and that Dupont was the bad guy, and and that he was going to die. <laughs> we should have mentioned thirty seconds ago, ladies and gentlemen, that the biggest spoiler alert was necessary. But yeah, <laughs> yeah well, right. I think when you're talking, I, I, <laughs> I think when you're talking about a film that's ten years old, you would expect it to be spoiled. I would hope. I would hope so. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I feel like though this is one film where there, there's a lot of people who haven't seen it that need to should they should see it, and, and so I, I'm I'm trying to encourage them to see it, and okay. uh, I don't want to ruin it for them. Spoiler alert, right. people. Yeah. So yeah, I just I think though it's not very often, like I said in last week's episode of discussing the Dark Knight Rises, it's not very often that I predict uh, the the climax or where things are leading. This was one time where I did uh, years ago when I saw it. And that was at a time, especially when I didn't really do that sort of thing at mm. all. So um, yeah, it's a great film. Even so in spite of the fact that it was a tad bit predictable, yeah, I, I still say thumbs up and this is one worth seeing. Yeah. I mean, I personally don't find predictability to be a problem unless it's cliched so badly. Um, but I think predictability is okay, you know, and it's – I would say the film certainly is predictable. I mean I think from, you know, 10 minutes in, you could have predicted that he was going to start having emotions and, and, and that was going to be what he, his struggle was. Mm-hmm. So 
I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Was there any other observations you wanted to make now that the spoiler alert is on? Okay, well, let's see. Let me look at my uh, let me look at my list here of, of notes that I made. Um, I, I think it's so ironic um, that uh, the whole premise of and, and and this is I'm not saying this is a bad plot point. This is just kind of it's just ironic in the in the plot that. Um, the whole idea is you've had the third world war and we're not going to have any more world wars. And yet you, you're, you're putting people through ovens and you've got these clerics out with <laughs> guns, arresting people for having emotions. And it's just, it's, it's ironic. And the point is, is well made, I think. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, you know, another thing I noticed the flag it pretty much looked like a Nazi flag. <laughs> that was funny. Yes. Um, it looks as sort of like an eight sided swastika. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, Oh, going back to the dislikes a little bit. I felt like the CGI, maybe maybe CGI technology was so young, or, or again, maybe it was budgetary. I don't know. There are some scenes that kind of fall apart now. I think it was good for its time. And even, you know, films like The Matrix didn't, uh, you know, always come across, you know, perfectly with its uh, although, CGI. Although I will say The Matrix, I think, still works because it's a computerized world. And where yes. things look a little computerized it's meant to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But this one, uh, with just a little imagination, I felt it works really well. It does. It wasn't as, in fact, I, I remembered it being worse than it actually is upon this viewing. I said, Oh, there's only a couple of things here. I mean, really it's, it's what gets me is when he's, uh, I know it sounds a little gross to talk about, but when he's breaking somebody's arm, uh, it really does look kind of CGI, would you know, uh, a couple of times when, when that happens, but mm. you know, it is what it is and it's, it's not horrible. Um, did you watch a 1080p version? Uh, I have a 720. Okay. Uh, I, I have a 720. Yeah. Yeah. I rip things to 720 cause my hard drive, if I had everything in 1080, my hard drive would be completely full. Um, of course. Yeah. I have a two, uh, I, my media, I have a media center computer and a two terabyte hard drive and I'm looking to upgrade it to a three terabyte sometime soon because I've just about filled it up. Hmm. I really haven't uh, got into the, uh, digital copy of all my films thing yet, but uh, I, I got started a few months ago making digital copies of my kids' movies, and uh, that's about as far as I've got. So yeah, no, it's been a fun. It's it's definitely been a several multi year process, but uh, I cannot remember now the last time I put in a DVD. Um, I acquire things digitally or I rip them when I get them, and and uh, so that's kind of been the way we've been going. So hmm. yeah, all watch right, it seven twenty. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and if you can, don't watch this film in DVD. Uh, no. Watch it right the first time. Yeah. Well, uh, we have an opportunity here, Joseph. I think we're only maybe a little over an hour in. It's a little hard to say for certain because we started recording before we, the show actually started. We've been going started. for approximately an hour and 15 minutes. There so, you go. So we have an yeah. opportunity to make this a shorter podcast for people. So uh, any any final thoughts or shall we wrap it up? No, just, uh, yeah, if you're going to remember to watch Equilibrium, put it on your Netflix queue. It's available. It wasn't available just a year ago or so. I don't know when it became available, but, yeah, you can get it now. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, Joseph, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, my my website is jivingjacklope.com, and I'm also available on Twitter. My handle is at Joseph Darnell. All right, and uh, my website is uh, buzzingpixel.com, and now that Movie Byte is live, I'll also be posting a lot there. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm TJ Draper Pro, 
And uh, I think that's all we got. Oh, if you want to uh, get to the show notes, we'll be putting in links and stuff that we've talked about. Uh, again, that will be moviebyte.com slash podcast slash three, because this is the third episode, and you'll find all the show notes there. All right. Well, Joseph, have a great evening. Hey, you too. I had a good time. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.